complex and yet a celebration of simplicity. Poet Richard Ron Sturmer uses the Tanka poetic form to explore big themes in a very few words in his latest collection. Resonating Distances shows his mastery of the Japanese form of poetry, but also his willingness to experiment, with the short-form sequences segueing into related prose passages. Rich is also a musician, film actor and director, and he runs the Auckland Zen Centre with his partner. He reads from the new collection. This is my cosmos. White daisies in the moonlight, clothes hanging from the washing line. Shadows of clothes cast on the lawn. One of them could be the entrance to the underworld. More rain. Pomegranate seeds falling into a china bowl. Just don't serve them to Persephone. Stars overhead blurred in the night wind. I place a flower pot against the back gate to stop it rattling. Richard, first of all, I'd really like to explore the tanker method that you have used for this. And you've returned to it, I know. But what, could you explain for the listeners, first of all, what it is? And then we'll look at why you like it so much. Okay. Well, originally, um, tanka is a five-line Japanese form of poetry. People know about haiku, that's three lines, while tanka is five lines. And the two extra lines that you get mean that the poet can enter the, the poem more. Tanka is more subjective. You get more of the poet's emotion, uh, perspective. And haiku is more objective. It's more about nature and what the poet encounters. So originally it came from Japan. In, uh, in classical Japanese literature, it's called waka. Same spelling as our waka. But then when Japan modernized in the 1880s, they decided they needed to sort of really modernize their, their verses. So it, was, it became tanka. But it's now part of world literature. I mean, it, it is very disciplined, but you write in your afterward about rather than finding this constraining in terms of form, that you found it really liberating. How so? What I do is tanka sequences, and you, you string a number of tanka together. And it's got a filmic quality because you can develop themes through the different verses. So there's a real sense of movement for the reader as they, as they read through a tanka sequence. For this book, uh, Resonating Distances, what I did was I wrote, I wrote most of the tanka sequences first, there's five tanka sequences, and each one has 34 verses. And each tanka sequence is, uh, breaks down into 10 parts of three or four verses. And I like to map my work as a writer. So I started writing down the nouns for the, um, the parts of three or four verses. And so I had little clusters of nouns, and they really started to intrigue me. And I thought, well, what happens if I write a story for each of these little parts and the constraint I put on myself was that I had to include the nouns, all the nouns in the, in the, in the set of verses in the story. And so I could grow the story from these nouns. So that was my constraint, or if you like, that was my operating principle behind resonating distances, which is a mixture of verse and prose. The poetry seeds the stories, but they move in different directions too. So for the reader, it's really an exploration of how poetry and prose 
can resonate together and they can complement each other. And what I did, I found that when I had my cluster of nouns, the story would move in, more often than not, quite a different direction than the poem. And I sort of found that um, interesting as a writer, for a writer. So quite a few names come through. Uh, in one work, you've got Stephen Hawking died today at the age of 76. And then you go into the back garden and look at the stars. You also got a references to Rolf Harris. And you talk about uh-huh. doing web searches on Rolf Harris. It's not a name that people feel comfortable even saying out loud now, oh. having been beloved so long ago. So how did he come to your thoughts, do you think? I, I retell um, folk stories in this work. Uh, they're biblical stories. Tobias and Gabriel, their stories with figures from Greek mythology. And just one story, well, it came from the verses. And in the verses, I make reference to uh, an entertainer who's just gone to jail. I don't mention Rolf Harris at all. And I also mentioned about quails going under an iron fence. So when I had this cluster of nouns, I decided, well, I will name, I will name the the entertainer who went to jail in, in my story, and it was Ralph Harris. So the story revolves around, it's a fictitious story about Ralph Harris and the painting that he keeps in the attic, a bit like the painting of Dorian Gray. I had to um, really interweave the nouns into the story without them being forced. And my problem was, how could I get the noun quail into a story that revolves around Rolf Harris, okay, that was my quandary, without making it seem forced. And then I did a web search, and I found, lo and behold, when Rolf Harris was in prison, he complained about prison food and said, I'm used to, I'm used to eating lobster and roast quail. <laughs> and there was purely serendipitous, so I quote that in the story. I was so intrigued also um, in another excerpt, you're mentioning Troy because you mentioned the ancient um, cities and we know the city of, of Troy and the wooden horse and then suddenly we're here in, in far north of Aotearoa and a giant dogskin ball. Now was this purely from imagination or had you heard something? Oh, no, no um, that was a story told to me by Selwyn Muru, the great um, sculptor. He's a uh, Natikuri from way up north, and we were working on Barry Barclay's film, The Kuiper Affair. And one night, Selwyn started to tell me a whole lot of legends about Nati, from Natikuri, and uh, one involved a big ball made out of dog skin, and it was a little bit like the Trojan horse. And Natikuri, there was another tribe of warriors up in Nepal, and his tribe, his people, rolled this big dogskin ball onto the beach to lure the people down from the pa and then um, put them to death. And this is one of the, the tales from Natikuri. And I sort of got permission from a, another Natikuri Komatawa to, you know, to do my reworking of the story. You keep us on your toes, I think, this mix of, of yeah. mythology and... Uh, and what we assume perhaps to be autobiographical or semi-autobiographical work, because on one page you've got the mention of a battle um, with Zeus and the dragon um, Typhon, and then on the next page, in the mid-70s, you're talking about David, your oldest friend, sharing a squat and something that happened one night. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's David Mann, who sometimes appears on Radio New Zealand as a commentator based in China. He's been in China for about thirty-five years. So that was in the mid seventies. We were yeah, we were squatting in Woolloomooloo and had lots of adventures. Um, this book allowed me to tell some other autobiographical stories that I haven't included in, in my previous books. So that was fun. How did you come across the story of, of Robert Desnoe? Because he's, he's a curious character. A big event for me was the Surrealist exhibition at the Auckland Art Gallery when I was 15. And that really introduced me to the, the paintings of Salvador Dali and Max Ernst. So I became, when I was 15 and 16, sort of obsessed with the Surrealists. And I'd pore over their writings and photography as well as their paintings. And there was this minor character in the the background on quite a few uh, photographs of the Surrealists of this poet asleep. And I found out that his his name was Robert Desnoe. And he was famous among the Surrealists for writing these unconscious poems. He'd go into a, a sleep state and just his hand would start writing and he'd produced some quite marvellous poems spontaneously. Richard, you mentioned before with this way you approach the collection, so you have this gathering of nouns that you weave then into prose. Were you quite surprised perhaps when you started to analyse the nouns and the words, themes and ideas that you kept coming back to that maybe you hadn't quite realised? Oh, definitely. One of my approaches as a writer is just to remain open, to remain open to possibilities. So these clusters of nouns, they were really sort of prompts or triggers to the imagination. And that's why my imagination took off in all these different directions. There's um, one story that has a a science fiction theme. Uh, There's another story that has a, a detective fiction theme. So it allowed me to write in different styles, a lot of different styles. You've written in this form before, as you say, but by throwing yourself so entirely into it, is this the way you want to write in the future or is this a period of your writing and maybe you'll try something else next time? How how dedicated are you now to the tanka form and these prose sequences? Mm, I'll continue to write tanka, but no, um, I think each, hopefully each book is different. Every book sort of has an operating principle so uh, the books I'll, I'll be publishing in the next few years have got different operating principles. Uh, part of my research as a writer is to investigate new ways of telling stories. So that's probably the main theme in my writing and has been for several years. My last publication was Postcard Stories, which featured a 100 coloured postcards. And I wrote poems and prose poems on these postcards. And that was a good way to, to generate stories. Richard Ron Sturmer talking about his latest book, Resonating Distances, which is published by Titus.